When the court's office went into lockdown last spring, I knew immediately what I'd miss the most. Not my colleagues, who I still see every day online. Not the snack drawer, or the free coffee, or the unlimited supply of post-it notes. Nope, within one week of working from my apartment, I was desperately missing my office chair. My chair at the court's office is a mesh multifunction task chair with adjustable armrests, lumbar support, forward tilt control, and a 20-inch seat width. It has wheels that won't scuff the floor and a pneumatic seat adjustment, which is what makes that fun little noise when you change the height. Before the pandemic, I hadn't given that chair much thought. That is, until I tried working from my kitchen table. In the modern economy, business often hinges on sitting and staring at a screen for eight hours a day for years, which makes comfortable, functional chairs a crucial part of the $71 billion market for office furniture. Nothing brought that reality home, literally, like the pandemic. Now millions of people like me, who once took things like forward tilt control for granted, are working from home on whatever seating they have lying around. And that shift is finally forcing questions about an industry few of us ever considered. Does it really have to be this hard to find an affordable, comfortable chair for work? This is The Court's Obsession, a podcast that explores the fascinating backstories behind everyday ideas and what they tell us about the global economy. I'm your host, Kira Bindram. Today, office chairs and what our seating says about us. I'm joined now by Anne Quito who is with me here in New York. Anne is a reporter with Quartz at Work, who focuses on design. Uh, and even though we're at a studio, Anne, I want to ask you first, what kind of chair do you use working from home? My choices are so sophisticated. I've been researching chairs for seven years, so I sit actually on a step stool. <laughs> I sit on a step ladder. It's one of those foldable ones, and, you know, it's like work mode. And then if I have to reach something, it's ladder mode. Have you always sat on that chair or is that a pandemic thing? I've never had to sit erect in my kitchen table for so long until COVID. I kind of move around my apartment. So I do the couch. I do a patio chair. I will also lay on the floor. I will also lay in bed. And then I eventually invested in a kneeling chair, which for those of you who aren't familiar, one, just just Google it because it's a sight to see. But it's basically like you're sitting on a, a forward tilted stool with your legs tucked under you on these sort of like shin pads. So you're you're effectively kneeling while sitting up and there's no back support, but it forces your posture to kind of stay upright. And I can do that for about eight hours if I must. I'm against this. <laughs> Why is that? Do you feel like a supplicant? What? <laughs> what is that? Kneeling? I'm not praying. I'm just I'm just in a kneeling position. This is an anti-feminist chair, period. Okay, well, we can't do an entire podcast on my seating, even though clearly we could... So my assumption is, especially since you sit on a stepladder, that you got really interested in this topic by virtue of being a design reporter. Yes. Honestly, I'm sitting on a stepladder because it's my holdout solution until I find the perfect chair that works for the home and the office and my home office and my life. I see. So you're actually pretty invested in this sort of journey. Big you're time. Just, you're just at the beginning of it. Big time. And actually, it's partly inspired by one interview with a writer who wrote a book, A Taxonomy of Office Chairs. 
And he said, after surveying hundreds of chairs, his favorite office chair is a stool by Achille Castiglioni. It looks like a mushroom. Basically, it's a mushroom chair. But the name in Italian translates to sharecropper's chair. Basically, it's the seat of a tractor on a stilt, just propped on an L, basically. And he said, it's just a stool. And you'd like working isn't sitting forever. So he says, I sit there for like a couple of hours, and then my back hurts, and then I get up, and then I sit on something else. And I totally subscribe to that idea. And at the beginning of the pandemic for courts at work, I thought, man, the perfect office chair hasn't been invented. So I spoke to Steelcase's ergonomics expert, and he says, the perfect stance isn't sitting, but moving. So he says he encouraged me to sort of like get up, move around. So I'm all about that. I want to talk a little bit about the history of office chairs, or at least as I understand it. So if we look back into chair history, let's say, we see evidence of special stools that Egyptians were using that was discovered in 1900 BC. We see Julius Caesar traveling with his own little foldable stool, which is a fantastic mental picture. Uh, we see Charles Darwin in the 1840s basically slapping casters onto his fancy office chair and creating the first office chair on wheels. Uh, and then in the 1920s is when we really start to see office chairs being designed with productivity in mind and kind of with preserving the health of the worker in mind. But when do we start to see what you and I would think of as the office chair today, the one that is actually in our office? When does that start to emerge? If you think about an office chair, you probably have in your imagination some, I don't know, sneaker-like foam and mesh and sort of like on wheels that can be adjustable, right? But think about it. What is a work chair or what is an office chair? So what we're imagining is actually called a task chair, basically designed in the, I don't know, 70s, 60s, where ergonomics came to play. And I think ergonomic office chair is basically a great symbol of the time when offices or workplaces cared about people's health. I want to establish some fundamentals of what we mean when we're talking about an office chair, which, as you said, is basically we're usually talking about kind of white collar task chair yes. for people who sit at desks for most of the day. What do those types of chairs typically have? A task chair is a butt perch designed for extreme sitting. So something with good back support, something that's height adjustable, probably to accommodate all kinds of workers, something that moves so you can, you know, roll around the office. Is there a chair that is like the first modern office chair, like the moment when the stage is set for the rest of them? Yes. It's called the Ergon Chair by Herman Miller. And if you think about the 80s chair, it's sort of like fully padded. To me, it looks like two hash browns sort of like welded together. And it appears kind of just comfortable and cushy, but also sort of like nice. But it's sort of a pillowy chair. But it really sort of like, or so they say, supports your back. Comfort is obviously paramount, and that makes sense. We're staring at screens. We're sitting, extreme sitting, which is just a fantastic phrase. But as I mentioned at the top, comfort hasn't always been so important. Like in the past, it actually was considered a sign of virtue to be uncomfortable on your chair. Totally. In the Victorian era, it was a virtue to sort of sit erect, right? And like to bear the pain. In fact, Frank Lloyd Wright designed these custom office chairs for the Larkin building because... 
Frank Lloyd Wright, if you know, he wants total control of the whole environment. And they were so unwieldy that people fell off. It had a nickname. It was called Suicide Chair. And then he sort of defended it by citing Victorian virtues. Mm. Deal with it, basically. I feel like you have to design a really bad chair for people to actively fall off (laughs) of the chair. So you touched on this a little bit. When did this task chair, this sort of modern white-collar worker chair, become so popular and ubiquitous? So in 1994... Herman Miller debuted this alien-looking chair called the Aeron Chair. It was so out of the norm. It didn't look like a stuffed potato or like hash brown on wheels. It had mesh. It had, it looked, basically it looked like a machine. And it was designed by Don Chadwick and Bill Stumpf. And the chair developed from their research for the elderly, actually. They observed that people who were getting pl- blood transfusions basically were just on lazy boys, and the chair was their universe, in a way. And could we improve that? So they came up with this technology and this sort of, like, idea that, like, instead of, like, overstuffed pillows or hash browns, they say it, maybe it could be made of mesh. Maybe it could sort of evoke this kind of aesthetic and also be comfortable. And it was so strange that it like stopped people on their tracks, honestly. But from like the 20s or so to the 90s when this magic chair comes out, there is still a healthy office chair craze. Like that part isn't new. People are now in a place where they're expecting their chair to be a place they sit for long periods of time and that it's comfortable. Springy, sort of all, yes. And then Herman Miller comes in in the 90s and is like, I have the chair. The thing that turned industrial designers to chair design, I guess there were two seminal books in 1960 and 1961. Um, One is by Henry Dreyfus, and another one is by Niels Different. It's called Human Scale. So basically, they translated the tenets of ergonomics to industrial design. So 1960, 1961. And then in the 70s, you see all these gambits on ergonomic chairs. You keep mentioning ergonomics, and I want to dig into it a little bit. Because, yeah, I mean, I hear about it, too. And I think one of the things that's unique about this, I want to say post-pandemic, but mid-pandemic period, is that so many of us are suddenly looking to buy office chairs. Yes. What is ergonomics? Is that science? And I'm doing up talk because I don't know. (laughs) You can clarify for me. It is science. On the most fundamental level, it's the study of the human and their work conditions. And it's not always in the office. In fact, ergonomics was developed for military planes. There was early studies on how the cockpit could be more comfortable, on how you can reach things. So it's not just always about the office, but it's about the man and the environment they're in. Before, there was this notion that you had changed adaptive design. But this is a shift where, oh, maybe this is at fault, not me, you know. Are there any parameters that make something ergonomic or can anyone just say that like it kind of reminds me when I'm shopping for natural food and it's like well it says organic so that's good well it has to sort of like kind of explain why it makes things better for your physique or your physiology instead of just a cinder block and your butt, right? Or a stepladder. Fine, a stepladder. It needs to try, and I say try, and we can dig into the marketing of chairs, which is a whole kind of thing. It needs to try that, I think, to earn the dollar signs, dollar signs. 
I absolutely want to dig into the marketing of chairs. So let's talk a little bit about that. Like, again, pre-pandemic, this is an industry that the average person was paying zero attention to. Like, if you work in an office, your chair is probably already there. Your company probably bought them in bulk. Uh, They probably subscribed to the tyranny of black chairs. And so you have sort of this uh, uniform look to chairs. I guess my first question is, what are the big companies in uh, the world of office chairs? Herman Miller is still one, I imagine. Are there any other big players we should yes. know about? Steelcase is the world's largest one. Um, human scale, Vitra in Europe, um, Hawthorne, and a whole bunch of other companies. And I guess IKEA sells them. You guess. <laughs> no, they do. They actually sell gaming chairs. Okay, so we're ta- we're circling the idea that this is a crowded marketplace. There's lots of chairs out there. There's lots of options. There's a big spectrum of value from IKEA up to super fancy. What does the office chair arms race is a little pun I did you see that (laughs) actually look like like what is this competition space you're alluding to the fact that it's actually quite cutthroat it's definitely competitive and in fact I attended a chair unveiling last week and it was supposed to be in person but you know COVID so it just had to be on Zoom and I'm always on tight 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 embargo do not tell Kira do not tell anyone until it you know so it's with Steelcase. The Zoom begins open, two people, and like a covered object. It's totally secret, right? And but it's like obviously a chair. <laughs> it's just covered I mean, I, in cloth. Of course, it's chair. So they unveil it. It's called the Steelcase Carmen, named after Jeff Bezos's greatest achievement, which is reaching the Carmen line, right? Like the imaginary border between space and earth mm. so they name it because it's weightless and elevated not a place you need chairs really <laughs> no but the feeling you know so they explain the virtues of this chair and it and the greatest thing is it's steel cases first mesh chair so all this mesh talk in the past herman miller had sort of like you know the market on mesh because of aaron and steel case is all about intuitive seating basically you sit on it you don't have to fiddle with it so much. That's their gambit. Intuitive seating and usually made of plastic or aluminum of, or some sort, but never quite mesh because they're thinking it's an inferior material. And then comes Intermix. This steel case patented mesh, which purportedly kind of when you sit on it, it distributes your weight across the seat, not just sort of like concentrates it like a lump of coal in the middle. So that's their gambit, and it's sustainable and all that. But there's great fanfare. And, of course, I asked the usual questions, na na na, And in the end, I said, hi. This is my reporters to sign off all the time. Hi, may I ask a goofy question? And I asked, I don't mean to be insulting, but why is this a big deal? Anne! (laughs) Why are you using curtains to conceal this chair? And then they were like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And they were like, you know, IP, and this is a highly competitive market. And apparently factories, Herman Miller, Steelcase, they're all in Michigan. So they hear about each other's sort of like in little innovations. So it's top secret for sure. After the break, how to pick the perfect office chair. Okay. 
Okay, so we're talking a lot about the almost like spectacular aspect of this industry. And I have the same reaction you do, which is like, who cares? Like, why are we spending so much energy unveiling office chairs? But now that I am sitting at home all the time working from home and thinking about my office chair, uh, maybe I should care. Maybe I should be paying attention to the new hot releases in the, in the chair world. And my question for you first is, am I right to think that because of the pandemic and working from home, a lot more individuals are buying or looking into buying office chairs who would not in a office environment. Absolutely. It used to be office chairs were bought by, I don't know, usually an office manager and they would buy it in bulk and the sale pitch was once and that's like a thousand sales. But now consumers are discerning with every aspect, every part of the chair. And in fact, it's like the office chair in a way is under scrutiny but no other time has it ever been under the spotlight. So I still contend that the perfect office chair for home offices hasn't been invented yet, but they're trying. But every chair is an answer to a problem. Every chair reflects the obsession of the zeitgeist. So over the course of years or decades, the need that the modern worker has is going to be reflected in the chairs that are popular at that time. Absolutely. And so right now our needs are, our necks hurt, our backs hurt. We're sitting for very long periods of time. Now it needs to look good at home. And like designers, there's a horrific term for this sort of category called resimercial. No. So designers have been working on that for decades. And now it's sort of like... Important more than ever, because people without the luxury of having an enclosed home office need to live with a back supportive chair that looks good in their kitchen table. And we're seeing that now in chair design, like a reflection of that. They're trying. So for the at-home worker right now who uh, maybe agrees with your assessment that the perfect chair has not been invented yet, but yet must sit for work all the same. What are some of the things that you would say someone should look for if they're about to make a task chair purchase, let's say? We're going shopping now? In our minds, we're going shopping. Okay. That is such a philosophical question, Kira. I didn't mean it to be. <laughs> okay. I have like a three-step formula for shopping for anything. Basically, zoom in, zoom out, and then zoom closer in. Zoom in. Look at the details of the chair. If you can, really sit on it. But it's really hard to get an impulse buy if it's $2,000. But like, try to meet the chair in person. Inspect it. Twirl it. Look at the wheels. Some wheels are better for like high pile carpet. Just sort of consider this idea. Zoom out. What do your surroundings look like? Because the chair, it's funny, like... Apple and other companies have done this to us. They've cropped out objects and sell it to us in a white plane. We never consider the environment. So think about your home. Think about your office. Will it work there? Will it look good there? Maybe you can also zoom in your bank account if you can afford a very expensive one. And then zoom in in. What does your heart say? I think shopping... And design, they're emotional decisions. So, And designers are often trying to romance us and also talk to us in rational terms at the same breath. So it's like logistics, aesthetics, and love. emotion and, and love. And love, yeah. Here's a question that's sort of related but a field. How much should we be sitting in the first place? Like, say I work an eight-hour day. How many of those hours should I have my butt in any sort of chair? I mean, it depends person to person. But like the 
ergonomics expert I spoke to said, move as much as possible. Move every hour. Either it's walking, getting up, drinking water, whatever. So it's that act of moving. Do you find you move more working from home or working from the office? I move more working at home, sadly, because I'm reaching for snacks. (laughs) Fair enough. It's the key is to keep the snacks far enough away that you have to walk a little bit exactly. to get to them. Exactly. And then, and then you cancel it out. It's fine. So in the course of missing my own office chair, I've been trying to think about why I miss it so much. And it's funny that you say it's not even like the best chair. Yeah. And I think it's it is because it's comfortable. But it also speaks to this idea of like ownership. Like it's my chair at work mm. and I had my desk and my space at work and I had all these little knickknacks at my desk and my chair had its own little settings that I had set and that has been a really interesting part of this transition to remote work. For me, I was a real office creature before the pandemic. And you've written about this, too, that the hot desking phenomenon where you don't have a, a fixed desk, you lose something. You lose a little bit of like your place at work. Do you think that chairs are a part of that, too, that it's one of those things that you just feel like, well, this is this is my little space that I, I exist here? Of course, we have a connection to our chair. In fact, if I can confess, I sometimes when people are resigning, I either chair Is it newer? Is it cleaner? Is it better? But yes, there's a connection to a chair. But also, there's also an egalitarian spirit to the models of ergonomic chairs these days. So the other thing that Bill Stumpf and Don Chadwick introduced was this notion that everyone in the office can be equal. They basically eliminated the idea of having a boss chair. And those are the Aeron guys. The Aeron guys and also the Equa and Ergon guys basically the pioneers of this field, or one of them. In the past, there used to be basically a throne for the boss, right? High back, Dr. Evil, maybe, kind of chair to signify that I am in charge. This is just my guess, but I'm, I'm thinking that they were inspired by the throne, right? Sitting used to be sort of this elevated stance, in a way, because, okay, you serfs stand up, Julius Caesar, I sit here and judge you. So the boss chair emerged, like this aura around, aura of foam around you. Basically project you're in charge. But when we got, you know, ergonomic seats and the way we think about them, the ergonomic seats that Herman Miller and all these sort of other manufacturers sold, everyone kind of had the same. So you wouldn't know who the boss was. So it simultaneously gives you some sort of sense of place and ownership, but also puts you on an even playing field with everyone else. Yes. But I do still, I'm particular about which kind of same chair I get. So where does gaming fit into this? Like if I think about extreme sitting, I am thinking about work. I am thinking about binge watching and I'm thinking about gaming. And this is people who are sitting in a chair for many, many hours playing video games and so need the utmost concentration and comfort Is it fair to assume that there is some cutting-edge chair technology happening in the gaming space? Yes. So most of the major manufacturers have released gaming chairs in 2020 or 2021. For example, Herman Miller partnered with Logitech to purportedly redesign one of their stock chairs or a few of their stock chairs to be even more comfortable. So gamers are extreme sitters. IKEA had this idea a few years ago. They were selling this model called Ubik, U-B-I-K, where they also partnered with an ergonomics company. And the scheme was you can go to an IKEA store and get your butt scanned. Yeah, so 
you would have a cushier seat, a more supportive seat, and they would mail you this insert, and you can put it in your IKEA chair, and that's their gaming chair gambit. I don't know if it ever launched, but they were all about this. I have one more question for you. It makes me think, though, but maybe you can ask your question first. No, no, no. What does it make you think? If money, time, and logistics were not a factor, what would be your dream office chair? I mean, you're going to hate my answer because I really was happy with my office chair. <laughs> your supplicant chair. <laughs> the kneeling chair I like uh, for the reasons you said. Like, it fits in my apartment. It's small. It's aesthetically pleasing. And it forces me to have good posture. So that's as close as I've come. But I think the thing that, that I have come around to during the pandemic is the movement part. Is the, like, sitting is a big part of our work. Or it, it is difficult for me to do a lot of our work while standing or, or moving around. But moving from chair to chair, moving from bed to floor, like that is a way that I can sort of break up my day and put a little less emphasis on the one chair that will solve all of my problems, at least until this magic future remote work chair that you allude to is finally invented. The magic future work chair is a shape-shifting chair. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> That's just a beanbag. Okay. <laughs> one more question for you. Is there any last fun fact about office chairs that we just did not get to that you must get out of your system? Many. Pick one. One? (laughs) Can I get two? All right, two. One. It's really hard to throw away office chairs in Japan or chairs in general. And people just sort of throw away office chairs and that amounts to like millions of tons in landfill every year. But in Japan, I was chatting with a friend, it's actually very hard to throw away seating and the Japanese agency asks you you want a chair? Throw a chair? What kind of chair? And whatever it is, there it's there, it's a schedule. So okay, so you're throwing away a lounge chair. Like make sure you do this, and like really putting hindrances on this throwaway culture makes us, I think, makes them or makes people value what they have and really rethink this urge to treat furniture like how we treat fast fashion. It makes us really rethink our decisions and also relationship with objects around us. And if we can repair things, why can't we instead of throwing them away? The second fun fact is, do you know that some chair manufacturers box office chairs pre-inclined depending on the region they're shipping the chair to? For example, in Japan, they've studied that Japanese workers like to sit on the edge of the chair, so the back is sort of slightly kind of reclined towards the sitter. And Americans like to lean back, so it's sort of like reclined. That is super interesting. Are you a lean forward or a lean back yourself? I guess you're on the step stool, so you're just... I'm a belly flop. (laughs) This has been fantastic, Anne. Thank you for joining me. Is any of that usable? It's ridiculous. Throw it all away. (laughs) (laughs) That's our obsession for the week. This episode was produced by Katie Jane Fernelius. Our sound engineer is George Drake, and the theme music is by Taka Yazuzawa and Alex Sukira. Special thanks to Ann Quito and Alex Osla in New York. If you liked what you heard, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. Tell your friends about us. Tell them to sit up straight in their most comfortable chair and take a listen. Then head to qz.com slash obsession to sign up for Quartz's weekly obsession email and browse hundreds of interesting backstories. Mm-hmm.